Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans Podcast. The Young Anglicans Podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and... Me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. And we're glad to have the provincial, the ACNA Canon for Youth Ministry, the very reverend, very reverend, most reverend Stephen Ty. I don't think so. I think I'm just reverend. No. I think Canon, I've only been reverended. Canon gets you something extra. You get an extra prefix. I Well, okay. Well, I'm, you should. We're you saying should. right here and right now okay. that you should, we'll take even a if you're not. I'm for that. I would love you guys to be in charge then of, of passing out the titles because, yeah, the more the better. <laughs> we're just going to take that authority. We're just going okay. to claim it name whether it or not claim. we have it. In the name of Jesus, I title you. <laughs> so we're really glad to have Stephen. We probably should have had him earlier as a guest given that he is the, uh, the biggest, most important youth pastor in all of the ACNA. Um, Stephen, want to introduce yourself? Tell us how long you've been in youth ministry. Um. Okay, so I refer to myself as the Arch Youth Minister of the ACNA. <laughs> Actually, okay, okay, edit that out. That'll get me in trouble. Um, yeah, so so I am serving the ACA, ACNA now as the provincial youth guy, um, which is one of those things, as long as we're talking about titles, that comes with titles and without any extra resources, which is what you do in the church, right? Right. right. You need something done. You don't have any money. You just pass out titles. Um, I've been doing youth ministry since I graduated from college and uh, basically got, got as soon as I got involved with the church, after how much time do you want me to take? Do you want me to introduce do you? How much of a story do you want? Go, Give us all go. of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I started going to this church after I graduated from college, and this is sort of interesting. I'd been in the town that I'd moved to for a year, and I didn't know anybody in the town. Um, I was like, you know, going back to the place that I graduated from college on the weekends, and and I remember my mother at one point saying, when you get to a new town, always go to the Anglican church, because that's where all the rich and powerful people go. (laughs) And I thought... I want to know rich and powerful people, so it turned out that there was an Anglican, well, at this point, an Episcopal church that was not too far from where I work, and I started attending, and was just absolutely blown away. There were all of these people that were my age that were so interesting and so cool, and I remember like leaving the church the first or second time I had been, thinking, oh my gosh, they are so cool. I've stumbled into some sort of cool person's church and they're going to check me out for a couple of weeks and then send me down the street to the Presbyterians when, <laughs> when I don't make a cut. Um, but it was, it was just, it was really fascinating. I mean, it was all these people who really loved God. And I figured out later on that the reason I thought they were so cool is because they were really interested in me, <laughs> <laughs> right? They felt about me the same way I do. Um, and, and, they were also all involved in this youth group that the church was doing. And so because they were involved, I got involved with the youth group. And I'd been there for maybe six months when they all moved away. And suddenly there's, you know, 30 teenagers and Stephen in a room. And uh, so I had to learn how to do youth ministry. And 
of course, at first I was really, well, so my gifts really came out. And in the first year, I grew the group from a solid 30 to about nine. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, you know, realized that basically this was the call of my life. Um, I've been doing that ever since, <laughs> taking good ministries and shrinking them down to a manageable size. Um, so I, I was, for a long time, I was leading this youth ministry at this church and also doing engineering professionally. And I was involved doing um, basically research engineering, trying to figure out what computers were going to look like in 10 years so that American companies could get there before Japanese companies did. Um, and the cool thing was, when you're doing research, basically you have one or two good ideas a year, and you get the rest of your time to yourself. And so I had plenty of time during the day to do youth ministry. Um, it about the After about 15 years of doing that all together, my wife and I felt like God was calling us into full-time ministry. And at that point, I moved to um, Ambridge, Pennsylvania, and started helping a guy named Whis Hayes teach the youth ministry program at Trinity Seminary. And so did that pretty much through the 90s, and then in the 2000s moved down to El Paso, where we, we actually we, we moved to start um, a, a missionary youth ministry school. So I thought this was really interesting. We had a lot of the Anglican mission societies who were hearing from the field that there were teenagers everywhere. You know, like all of these 40-year-olds that were going overseas to, you know, preach the gospel and bring people to Jesus were going, we can't get any 40-year-olds to talk to us, but oh my gosh, there are teenagers everywhere, what do I do? <laughs> and so we wanted to help these guys learn how to reach teenagers. And at the same time, we're realizing that, especially now in the U.S., the youth culture has split off so far from the mainstream American culture that a good youth minister needed to know exactly the, the skills that a good missionary needed to do. They basically need to, to be able to span cultures. And so we thought, what better place to teach people to function cross-culturally than in El Paso, Texas, which is right on the border between the U.S. and Mexico. So I have been here for the last 15 years. Um, and as part of what I sort of did in that school, I got more and more involved in, in trying to help the, 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 the province of the ACNA figure out how to do youth ministry until finally they got sick of me telling them what to do and hired me. Um, <laughs> again, hire means that they gave me a title. Yeah. That is a, that's an interesting journey. I, I would call it thrilling. The, okay. <laughs> So, so, okay, real quick, minimum. one quick question, one quick question. Well, this doesn't really matter, but I'm just kind of curious. What is, what is this company that you are working for that we have to thank for giving you all this extra time and for subsidizing you in youth ministry for those 15 years that you were doing that wherever that was? What's the name of that company? Let's just give them <laughs> some free advertising right here. I think it's probably best if we not mention oh, the company. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All That's right. fine. <laughs> but what you're saying is, for those of us who are people who are listening to the podcast, wondering about bivocational youth ministry, they should, you know, get a job in youth ministry and then just pick up a side job in research engineering because that's yeah, a really yes, good actually, combination. That that works really well. I mean, because right, you don't want to be in a place where you're having to interface with customers a lot. Right. Because yeah. customers work eight to five. So what you want is something that allows you basically to work the same hours that a mushroom works. 
And and so, you know, I show up at 11 o'clock at night and I work till six o'clock in the morning and they're perfectly happy. So it, it, it worked out really well. That's, That's really cool. That's really cool. So is, is the school, I have another question. I'm going to ask it. Is the school that you started in El Paso, is it still around? And what does it look like and what's it doing? You know, that's kind of funny. It was around until the beginning of last semester. So it lasted for about 12 years. And we had, I thought it was really clever. Um, we would do a thing where, where people would come here to be part of the school for four years. And they would basically, so, okay, longer story than you ever wanted. Here it is. The problem with teaching youth ministry at a seminary is that the, it doesn't really matter what you teach people in their classes. What they're really learning happens in their, their ministry placements, mm. in their field-based placements. And so what we were noticing is that um, the youth ministry students were recreating what they grew up with in their ministry assignments as they were starting youth groups. Um, they didn't bear any resemblance to what we were teaching in the classes, mm. except that they used the names of the things that we talked about in class to label the parts of their youth ministry. Mm. And, and, you know, so you have, you know, we have talked about discipleship groups and how important that is. And, and we've got one group that has, we've got, you know, one youth leader who has a discipleship group that goes bowling every Wednesday. <laughs> and you go, how is that discipleship? Um, and so what we realized from doing this at, at Trinity for whatever, seven or eight years, is that, that the real learning about how to do ministry happens by doing ministry. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. as we set up the, the missionary youth ministry school down here, we turned the academic model upside down and said the main thing we're going to be doing is having people here as interns for the whole four years they're here. And each semester that they're here, we will teach a class, basically a ministry class, that we got accredited through the, the local, uh, an extension of a, of a Christian university, a place called Howard Payne. So that's sort of an advertisement. Um, and so by the time they graduate, they've got four years of youth ministry experience, plus eight youth ministry courses like New Testament, Old Testament, church history, uh, systematic theology, that they could basically transfer into our state college system as a minor. Huh. And so, you know, it worked out really well. And the, the idea was we keep them here for the first two years. And at the end of their second year, we farm them out to a church in the area that's too small to afford a full-time youth minister. So they come up with time with enough money to pay for one of our guys part-time. And then we take that money and we turn that around to scholarship the next class of students. Mm -hmm. So it really, I mean, it, it, it worked out really well. Um, but the, we, the, the, the way that we gotten it to work was by um, partnering with a church here in El Paso and saying, rather than you hiring a new youth minister, why don't you let us use the money you were going to use for a youth minister to scholarship young people coming through our program, and we will use your youth ministry as a training center, mm -hmm. and so we'll run your youth group for you for free, mm -hmm. and these guys can learn to do youth ministry. Um, and anyway, just it's been a great partnership, but we finally got to the point in this last year where um, it was just sort of time to move on. So mm. the, the church hired my last two students as full-time youth ministers here. 
And we haven't said anything funny in a while, and you guys probably need to, to get <laughs> that's Ad- You're talking about Adam and Christy, right? Yep. Shout out to Adam and Christy. We need to make sure they hear this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Now they have a reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's really crazy. I mean, what's interesting is you started this interesting different model for higher education 12 years, maybe 10 years before everybody's having a crisis of higher education and wanted to use different models and, and all these... I mean, lots of colleges are moving out of classroom-based stuff, and they're trying to do more practical things, and they're trying to give kids different experiences because more and more people don't want to send their kid for any major, let alone youth ministry, to a four-year college just to have them go work, you know, at Starbucks or work at, you know, some corporate right. job which has nothing to do with what their field of study. Um, yeah, I mean, let let alone seminary, right? Right. I mean, how much sense does it take? How much sense does it make to take? a young person who's excited about ministry, who's growing on ministry, and say, stop, go move to, you know, Pittsburgh for three years, where you won't do any ministry, you'll just learn how to do ministry, and then we'll send you someplace completely different. It's just like, it just, I mean, the the model just doesn't really make sense today. Mm. So that's an unshout out to all my seminary friends. I was going to say, now that we've alienated all the seminary professors who listen, (laughs) the wide group of of seminary professors. Well, Um, actually, we've probably alienated everybody except Christy and Adam at this point. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We've just alienated everyone that stopped and went to to seminary for three years. That's what we did. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Or even got a college education. I mean, honestly, we, we pretty much hit everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's good. Well, Adam and Christy, now that you're the only ones listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things, uh, Stephen, because you're you're involved at provincial levels, I think a lot of people in the ACNA have a hard time understanding the whole. They have a hard time thinking about what the ACNA looks like beyond sometimes their own church, maybe as broad as their own diocese. Um, but like if you were to say what's the Anglican church like in North America? I think most people just don't have a picture of it. Um, so how would you describe, we're giving you, we asked you ahead of time to prepare some ideas about the state of youth ministry in the ACNA. What is, what does youth ministry look like? And I imagine this will both be eye-opening for some people and for a lot of people, my guess is it will hopefully be encouraging to hear that there are more churches just like them. Um, so yeah, what, what, is, what is youth ministry like right now among Anglicans in North America? Okay, so you almost can't answer that question without talking a little bit about the state of the ACNA. Sure. Mm. And, and so, you know, at this point, arguably the ACNA is about 10 years old. Um, and and we, we pretty much have got three kinds of churches. We've got, you know, big healthy churches that came out of the previous denomination intact, We've got churches that are legacy churches, you know, where three quarters or one half of the people in a church came out and started a, an ACNA church. Mm-hmm. And in general, those churches are having a real hard time. Um, and, and then the third kind of church we've got is, is, is just straight church plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a really interesting mix. And one of the things that I think is most interesting about it is that— um, well, okay, let me say that another way. So if you look at the median size of ACNA churches, there are roughly 1,000 ACNA churches, and the median is between 60 and 65. Now, a, a, a church with 65 people 
doesn't isn't really viable. Um, in, in when I say viable, I mean that basically it can't afford a pastor unless the pastor is bivocational. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's most of our churches. And, and um, the the other thing that's real clear is that most of the time a church that's that small, probably up to about 100, 150, has a hard time even supporting a youth ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, on one hand, there's not enough money to hire a youth minister, um, or in fact, sort of the volunteer strength that you can afford to take some of your you know, best people and say, hey, go reach teenagers. And, and, and the other part of it is, generally those churches are not gonna have a lot of teenagers. Um, and, you know, I mean, youth ministries are, are kind of an if you build it, come. I know you don't have youth ministry. Families with kids are not going to come to your church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you got this, you know, the, this really hard situation that a lot of people are in, which is why we invented the Engage program, which if you let me, I'll talk about later on. Um, but so that's sort of a, a snapshot of the ACNA. Then if you look at the ACNA over like the last 10 years, most of our churches have been in survival mode. For most mm-hmm. of the last 10 years. And, and, and survival mode means we don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. You know, we're having to, you know, to fire staff. Um, a lot of our families aren't interested in coming anymore. Um, and even though the three of us think that youth ministry is, should be the number one priority of most of our churches, um, it, it turns out that when you're trying to you know, build up a church, that's not the first thing that pastors think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they think about who's actually coming on Sunday and, you know, how, how, who have I offended this week? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for the most part, youth ministry is, you know, five or six giant items down the list. And for most of the ACNA's existence, Nobody has been looking at number five or six on the list. Everybody's been concerned with number one and two and three, which is how many people are coming in on Sunday and do we have enough money to the payroll. Um, mm-hmm. So the state of the ACNA is that it's just now feeling stable enough in itself, which means that a lot of its churches are just feeling stable enough now that they can sort of wake up and go, okay, we're going to survive. You know, what has fallen off the map that we need to be thinking about again? Mm. And so you've got a lot of churches and dioceses that are starting to think about youth ministry for the first time in a decade. Yeah. Um, so does that sort of make sense as a, as a first shot? Well, I, I certainly recognize my situation in there. Um, St. Luke's is a little bigger than the median you mentioned. We're, we're an ASA about 100, a little, little north of 100. Um, we have a, a handful, almost two handfuls of teenagers that come to our church. Um, it, it's always been in our budget to pay for a youth pastor, but it's been a part, always been a part-time kind of deal. And it, we, we're close enough to Fuller Seminary that the hope was that always that we could find somebody from Fuller to come for those three years that they were at Fuller and, and be the youth pastor at our church during that time. Um, and it's it's only been for the past year and a half since I came on staff full time, uh, but even then, only part of my job description included youth ministry, and it was something that that was like, well, we need a youth pastor, and we don't have one, and we're bringing someone else, so we're bringing someone on to do these other things, so we might as well have them do youth ministry at the same time. <laughs> so um, 
and it worked out fine for me because my heart, I've all, if I'm going to be involved in the church, it's going to be on the worship team and in the youth ministry um, as a volunteer in my former life. But um, so anyway, but yeah, I, I, as you're talking about that, I very much recognize my church and some of the struggles that we've had and, um, and some of the ways that we're seeing God work and move in our church these days. Um, yeah, so I very much recognize yours. Do you feel the same way, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because um, when I started at All Souls, I was uh, I started part time, I think fifteen hours a week. Um, and uh, another local church um, also didn't have enough to pay for a youth pastor, but they had a couple of students, and so that's how I've had this from the start. This sort of hybrid youth ministry. Um, and my position at All Souls has grown to full time, and the way that Church of the Savior supports looks different now. But um, we had to do this creative thing where we put a couple churches together, and then this last year we added a third church, which has one um, eighth grader, and he's been part of our group and has been really active. But we're sort of oh. in this fun place where, um, you know, we churches have to combine to make youth ministries because. Um, in any traditional sense of a group of teenagers together doing ministry, obviously, we'll, when you talk about Engage later, we can think about new alternative ways to think about discipling teenagers. But in any meaningful, like, get a bunch of kids together, do a Bible study together as a group, you know, go out bowling sometimes, um, or as Stephen might call it, discipleship group, um, we, uh, <laughs> you, you need to have a critical mass. And, and, and I mean, yes, Stephen, like you said, it's hard to have the volunteers, to have the people to do it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful that the, the position at All Souls has grown to such that I've been able to turn it into a full-time job, but it was, yeah, it all started out part-time. I mean, I started out part-time over several churches because that's what the, the sort of landscape of youth in the churches was. Um, it was just a, and it, it required a lot of creative moves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. It's like that's the story throughout the ACNA right now. It's like it, it's sort of the era of, of you know, sort of the creative entrepreneur minister. Mm -hmm. It's like you see a need and you fill it. You can't wait for, you know, the, the, the denomination from the top to, to take care of something because there's just too much stuff going on and yeah. there's just not enough resources. Well, and, um, and by, so, the time, by the time they get around to it, the kids have graduated. So we, we lost that opportunity <laughs> right. for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kids don't stop growing and, and waiting for us to disciple them. <laughs> right, right. And and so and so, in general, the whole ACNA is just just through startup, and at this point, youth ministry is very much in startup throughout the ACNA. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of what I'm doing right now is trying to help dioceses and bishops to build the infrastructure that will, you know, encourage youth ministry down in the churches. Mm -hmm. And where, where, where churches are not in a place that they can do that, dioceses have got to be filling in and, you know, sort of providing events for kids and doing the discipleship. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of dioceses that can't even, you know, that aren't even thinking about that yet. So, you know, we're very much in startup with relation to, with respect to youth ministry in the ACNA. So what are some of the challenges of that? Like what, uh, other than just the difficulty of getting momentum, like what are the, 
What are the, the biggest challenges you think that youth ministry in the uh, ACNA faces? So it's kind of interesting. Um, one of the consequences of having a few large churches and lots of tiny churches is there's no sort of youth ministry farm system. Mm-hmm. And in most denominations, you've got, you know, sort of churches, <laughs> turtles all the way down. You've got churches all the way up, you know, from very small to very large. Mm-hmm. And the, the very large churches, when they need a youth minister, can find somebody who's had some experience by sort of poaching from some of the smaller churches. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the smaller churches. We don't have churches that can afford, well, like you guys, part-time youth ministers. Um, and so we're having a lot of trouble right now finding youth ministers when our large churches need them. Um, there was one point last year where there were you know, six of the 20th largest churches in the ACNA that were all looking for youth ministers at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go, well, you know, it, it's great to take somebody like right out of Bible school or, you know, who's graduating with a youth ministry degree, but, you know, a church that's got two or 300 kids coming every Wednesday, you can't start like that. No. Um, so that's been a challenge for the large churches. Um for the small, the, the medium-sized churches, the few medium-sized churches there are, um, they're sort of constantly having to go outside the denomination to find youth group, to mm-hmm. find youth leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, we just, we don't have sort of the, the leadership pipeline for youth ministers that, that ought to be in place. And then, of course, in the little churches, you've got there, there's, um, you know, just to sort of two, there's no resources to make stuff work. Now, this is really interesting. Right now, most of our pastors came out of churches that had good youth ministries, right? That was where they came to the Lord. That was where they heard the call to ministry. And so pretty much as a denomination, everybody has the idea in their heads of what a youth ministry looks like. And it looks like a youth group with a youth leader, and you have lock-ins, and you go to you know, Six Flags or Disneyland, and you do ski trips, and you do all this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, for these guys that grew up that way, that are now pastors with churches that are too small to be able to do what they grew up with, that sort of engenders a lot of of sort of guilt and shame. You know, this stuff was so good for me, and I cannot provide it for my kids. Um, And so that's one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time doing, is helping small churches reach teenagers. And I, I talked a little bit ago about engage. And that basically is what engages. The issue is that we could train people to do this, but at some point, with all the bishops and, and pastors' attention on survival, you've got to just be able to give them a machine where all, all they have to do is flip it on and everything will work. I mean, it's like you have to sort of be able to sell turnkey ministry. And so we, we called teaching people to disciple kids engage and say, if you guys want us to do that, we'll come in, and what we're going to do is train the ordinary adults in your churches to sit down with the teenager and open the Bible together. That's all we're talking about doing. We're not talking about discipleship. We're not talking about youth ministry. You know, we're not talking about, you know, teaching or anything like that. All we're talking about is you guys sitting down at a Starbucks and reading the Bible together. And, and it's actually, it's working pretty well. I mean, it's getting a lot of traction in a lot of places, because our small churches are so desperate. Um, so I think, I mean, that's, as I think about it, I think those pretty much are challenges right now, um, sort of depending on what 
you know size the church is there there are unique problems and maybe they're not maybe they're not unique to the ACNA maybe it's just that size church has always got that kind of problem wherever we are right yeah we just did um, engage training out here in Western Anglicans um, and it was great uh, really good day I was really surprised uh, how how many people showed up frankly um, but it was really great training you and Julie Moser and Dave Wright came out and and spoke to us uh, we just had a really great day it was a lot of fun um, it was informative uh, and I think the the best in, in my mind, the best part about it was that we left that day. Each person that came left with a plan, um, at least however vague it might have been or however grandiose, you know, they, like how it, maybe a lot of people might have felt like there's no way this plan's ever going to work because I don't have the time. But, th- but they still left with a plan, and they left with something they felt like they had spent time praying about, they'd spent time discussing in a small group, and, okay, th- this is who I'm going to – approach and this is what we're going to try and do um and so it was, it was a real blessing for me uh, and as a youth pastor and as a guy who's who's trying to start coordinating youth ministry on the diocesan level at western anglicans it was a huge blessing to me um just to see a, a room at our cathedral filled with people who want to disciple teenagers uh that was really cool and then for me to have a group of people from my own church who were all really excited about reading the Bible with with teenagers and wanting to be a part of a team of people who are um, passing on the faith to a new generation. Uh, it was really, really, really exciting. So if you uh, are, are leading youth ministry in your diocese, um, contact Stephen and do engage training because it's awesome. And if there isn't uh, someone coordinating youth ministry at your diocesan level, maybe it should be you. And then you should still contact Stephen and do engage training at your diocese. Because maybe you can get the same I'm kind sure of promotion that Stephen got. God as soon as you said that. What was that? I'm sorry. I was going to say, because then okay. maybe if you, if you take up the diocesan youth ministry call, you can get the same kind of promotion that Stephen got. A title and no money. <laughs> That's right. In fact, we can we can actually hand you out some titles. We we have that authority. Um, do you have Eric? Do you have a feeling for how many of those people that were at the training have actually followed through and are discipling teenagers at this point? Um, no, I don't. I don't have a clear. I don't have clarity on that. Um, I need to schedule a, a conference call with my leaders. But um, I've I've heard some really beautiful stories. Um, a woman who just had a name on her heart and reached out and um, it turns out this person had been trying to reach out to her um, and they had just been having trouble connecting. So uh, it was just, it was just beautiful the way God had kind of orchestrated them kind of coming together to begin sitting down and talking about Jesus and faith and reading the Bible together. So that was really cool. But truth be told, um, uh, several of the people, even in my own church, it's been well. I'm gonna, we're gonna do this. I've been talking to their parents. I've been talking to the kids, and we can't do it this month, so it's gonna be next month. And it's gonna, so uh, I'm having to do a lot of encouraging, even in with my own people mm-hmm. who are excited to do this and want to do it, it. You know, encouraging them to stick with it and and uh, not give yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is. It's, it's like like it's great once it gets started, but it's hard to get people started. Yep. I don't know, Stephen, if you feel this way, but I've like thinking about engage and thinking about its value, um, 
Not that this is meant to be turned into one big infomercial for for Engage. Um, but when I think about the, the, the setting you described for youth ministry in the ACNA, how these pastors can't reproduce what is largely, you know, big programmatic, um, perhaps even entertainment driven youth ministries. Um, I almost see that as like this beautiful opportunity, um, that we can do youth ministry better in the ACNA than what we were handed. Because lots of people came to Jesus and came to faith in those sort of big programmatic youth ministries. But by and large, people grow in their faith because of a personal connection with a mentor who cares about them. I mean, that just makes this huge difference in their lives. And I often, like when I think about larger churches, when I talk with friends in youth ministry at larger churches with, you know, hundreds of kids, I just feel bad for them. Because I think like, man, how do you, how do you even disciple any of those kids? Like, how do you... You don't know their parents. Their parents don't know you. You have to, you have to do this like micromanaging of like equipping a bunch of other leaders to do the ministry for you. Um, obviously, I mean, praise God that all these teenagers are in church, right? Like, you don't want to. If you have a big youth ministry, you want to say like eighty of you leave because I just want to have a smaller youth ministry. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, I don't know, Stephen. From your experience so far, getting engaged, starting up, and hearing some of the stories, like, do you feel like there's this? unexpected but actual strength in these small churches and being able to do really good youth ministry with teenagers even though they don't have all the stuff that we think of like dodgeball and pizza when we think about youth ministry well talk about fishing you want to just go ahead and answer your question yes it's awesome (laughs) Um, yeah okay so so first of all i don't want to trash the large youth group um Honestly, most of us who are Christians in our adulthood grew up in a group like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you start adding up the numbers, and, and somehow God really just blesses the, the crud out of, out of those kind of ministries. And mm-hmm. I have no doubt that he's doing that now. Um, so I don't want to trash large ministries. At the same time, I do think that there are some real advantages to small church youth ministry. And... and um, one of them you've mentioned is that it's more likely in a small, small church that I'm going to know lots of the adults and lots of the adults are going to know me if I'm a kid, mm-hmm. you know, that they've had the chance to, you know, to watch me grow. The other thing that's really nice about small churches is that small churches sort of have an all hands on deck sort of assumption. You know, it's like we've got so many things that need to be done that if you can breathe and you've got a body, we need you doing one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, you have small churches where, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, 10 year olds standing side by side with adults doing, you know, ushering or passing out communion or, you know, sort of fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have a lot of that in big churches. There are sort of a lot more of the, you know, sort of upfront roles that are available to kids in small churches that, than you have in large churches. Um, so, okay, so. So yes, so I definitely think that there are advantages to small churches. Um, I do think it's not just enough for our teenagers to walk into a small church and go, oh, look, everybody knows me. This is cool. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we need to be very deliberate about um, our discipleship of those kids. And, and I think that that's probably one of the places where the, the small churches have got one of their two major weaknesses is that it's easy to say this kid is one of us and they have been since they were you know six years old and since they're coming to church and they used to love bible stories 
I don't need to worry about their faith now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like they said they loved Jesus when they were six years old, and they'll continue to love Jesus until they're indifferent, right? You know, one of those kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, if a teenager is not being discipled, um, they basically are in the process of losing their faith. Hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like the way that a big tree rots from the inside. You know, you don't see it on the outside. You don't realize that this seven-year-old is coming to church every Sunday surviving on their childhood faith, mm-hmm. which may work as long as they're living with mom and dad and mom and dad are driving them to church. But when they go off to college and some pressure is put on that faith, it's going to crumble. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing there. Um, and so the other the other thing I think that I would say, wait, do I need, if I talk too long, do I need to say, do no. I need to wait for you guys to do nope. a... keep going. They laugh at something hilarious I said. <laughs> okay, so in general, for an, for adolescent faith to be healthy, there are three things that are required. One is a mentor, a non-parental mentor um, who pays attention to the kid, who you know helps the the you know can just sort of talk through the things that the kid is going through. The second thing that they really need is is a group of Christian peers, because basically their adult faith is built in the uh, in the company of their peers, not in the company of the adults that they're around. So so I think that that's important. The third thing that's really important is direct experience of God. You know, they need to be in some place where, you know, they have they have some confidence that there really is a God on the other end because he's interacted with them directly. They've heard his voice or they've felt him or, you know, they've seen a miracle or something. And I think that those are the three things that as the, that, that the ACNA needs to be providing for all of its teenagers. Um, and, you know, where we can't provide all those three, we provide as many of them as we can. If that turns out that that's only a mentor, then, you know, we do that until we're in a position to be able to provide more. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of, that's the way that I think about this stuff. And, you know, I would love to see and pray that eventually we'll see every kid in the ACNA with a good Christian mentor, a group of Christian peers, and, you know, direct experience of God that they can, that they can sort of, you know, point back to and lean on. Does that list come out of your research? Is that from a different book? Um, I know some of the, the Christian peer stuff came out of your dissertation work, right? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. Okay. That basically, because of my research, that's sort of where my thinking is now about what the church provides for kids. Mm-hmm. And and so, okay, so this is probably going to be heresy, but there's such a strong movement among children and youth, youth people right now about discipleship in the home and how important that is. Mm-hmm. And as I read Scripture— the scripture puts the, the, the church as a priority over the family, right? I mean, Jesus is the guy who says, you can't even follow me unless you hate your mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think in childhood, parents are so influential and have so much say into their kids' faith that in childhood, the job of the church is to support good discipleship in the home. But as soon as kids go through puberty, it, it reverses. The job of the parents is to do whatever they can to get their kids to church because the most 
most important adolescent faith relationships with their mentors and with their peers and those direct experiences of God happen in church. You know, it's like you never, I've never heard anybody talk about this mountaintop high with God that I had sitting at my kitchen table with mom and dad. You know, I've never heard of that. Um, you know, when you hear those stories, it's mission trip or retreat or Christian conference or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, Stephen, you can stop preaching now, but thank you so much. That was enlightening. Oh, I've got so much more. No, I think that's a good challenge. I mean, now we've also offended all the family-based youth ministry people, so we'll add them to our list. <laughs> um, well, but like, Actually, actually, can I, I, I did want to, can we talk about that a little bit more? Because when you... Um, you think I'm a heretic? Just say no, it, no, 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 no. It. It's no, it's because because like my heart is with you, right? Because the youth ministry that I experienced when I was you know 20 years ago when I was in youth group, uh, that's what I received from youth group, and it was this beautiful place where uh, I was amongst my peers who were also Christians and felt built up in my faith in that way, and all like it was all great, and that's the way I think of youth ministry. But then you hear th- you know there's books coming out of. Fuller Youth Institute and all these things where we're hearing all about how we need intergenerational ministry and we need, uh, you know, there needs, you know, the, the youth pastor isn't just the, the pastor to the students, but also needs to be, you know, pastoring the parents and working with the parents and all these kinds of things. Like, so how does that fit into what you're talking about? Well, I mean, so when people talk about intergenerational church connections, you know, let, let's be honest, when I was a teenager, my main intergenerational church connection was with my youth leader and with the mm-hmm. volunteers in our youth group that would mm-hmm. take me out for, you know, coffee and cokes and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was great to have all of these. It was great to be known by all of my parents' friends, but that wasn't where discipleship was happening. Right. Um, and and so when people talk about intergenerational church connections, for for the most part, those have come out of surveys where they ask kids, do you know adults in your church? Mm-hmm. And they've called that intergenerational church, you know, connections, when honestly, it's just kids connecting to the people in their youth group. Okay. Now, that's not always true, right? but lots of times, you know, you sort of change the name and you try to make your research interesting and new enough that, that people want to buy it. Okay. Um, okay, so now I've, I've offended the entire academic youth ministry community. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, I, I hope, Adam and Christy, I hope you're still with us. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so um, the, the other thing that's sort of interesting right now is that the sort of fad in youth ministry right now is you know the whole the whole parent thing. The parents are really important, and it's interesting because that's a reaction against youth ministry 20 years ago when we all started getting offended by how many parents were driving up to the church, kicking their kids out, and going off to you know watch a movie or go dancing while the church discipled their kids. Right. And, and so the reaction against that was to grab parents by the lapel and say, God gives you the primary responsibility. For discipling your kids, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, as a reaction, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're a lot healthier when church and family work together. Right. Now, my sense is that the pendulum has swung too far in the family direction. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that. You know, I want my my 
kids' parents to, you know, to be pagans, um, because I do see that Christian parents are more likely to produce Christian children. Mm-hmm. But as I look into how that happens, it happens because Christian parents are more likely to get their adolescent children involved in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I talk to parents about, you know, how what do you do that that builds the faith of your children? You know, you hear parents talk about stuff like, well, every week we do, you know, family devotional together. Mm-hmm. And then you take the kid aside and you say, so, you know, what goes in in your, your house that's really important to your to your faith? And they go, nothing. <laughs> well, you know, your, your dad says that you guys do family devotionals. And they roll their eyes and go, yeah, we do family devotionals. <laughs> and, and, you know, as, as they're listing off the things that are really important for their faith, they're only talking about stuff that happens at church and youth group. Mm. And, yeah, the stuff in their family happens, but at this age, it's not, you know, it's not the thing that the kids talk about as being most important. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I've offended more people, and I know I'm getting preachy. Yeah, um, no, no, I, I just wanted to say I really appreciate you unpacking that a little bit, because that goes, like, in the in the year and a half that I've been on staff at St. Luke's, what has happened is the youth group has blossomed and become this, it's become a youth group. Um, it's it's gone from being a couple of kids that get together, uh, hopefully every week, to being an actual youth group, and but but there's been some part in the back of my head, like this guilt that I'm not like deeply connecting with their parents and I'm not, you know, discipling their parents and teaching their kids how to be, you know, discipling them. So there's this, I, I I've had personally just this own conflict in my own ministry about, no, my heart is to be with these kids and to be discipling these kids. And yeah, I want to help their parents and do what I can to stay connected with their parents and to be feedback for their parents about where their kids are. Um, but I, it, it, yeah, anyway, now I just appreciate you unpacking that. I'll just say that. Do you think, yeah. do you think maybe it's fair to say that parents are basically your most effective mentor or maybe your, your most involved mentor, but you'd want more than one? Because like I think about, I just had a parents' night discussion where I, you know, I skipped youth group and I sat down with all the youth parents and the, who knows what the the youth did? They were all feral. They all they wa- they watched a movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know the uh, I sit down with parents and I talk with them and they often are talking about the, some of the conversations they're having with their kids, or I mean they observe their kids' lives to a much greater degree than I do. And even if I pair them with a mentor and if that if we, you know, did once a week mentoring, the parents are still with them way more hours. And that is a, a healthy and natural individuation process where the teenager is starting to push the parent out a little bit to try and understand who they are independent of that. But, and maybe I'm not saying, Stephen, again, you're not saying who cares about parents, but there certainly would be value in saying the parent, like, I look at any individual student and I think, who are the adults who are pouring into this kid's life? Hopefully there's a non-parent mentor. Hopefully there's a new voice that there's someone mm-hmm. else giving a different, a different picture of, of a life lived in faithfulness. That's a little bit different than their parents. So they understand and appreciate variety and, and hear the same message with maybe a different tone. Um, but you'd also want the parents to be good at what they're doing too, right? Like you'd want to say, Hey parents, like, the kids might not like family devotions, but maybe in 20 years, they'll be like, I'm so glad that I saw parents who did family devotions who had that commitment every week. I don't know. Well, what do you let think? me ask. What, 
what was your, I mean, what was your upbringing like? Yeah. I mean, were your parents essential to your discipleship? I think they were in ways that I wouldn't have been able to articulate as a teenager. Like, I think that the things that I reflect on now that were vital to my faith formation from my parents are, are behaviors and attitudes and postures um, that when I was 17, I wouldn't have necessarily said, oh, I love that my dad is so prayerful about these things. In fact, when I was 17 and I argued with my dad and he would say, well, have you prayed about it? I'd always get really annoyed at him because um, it often, at the time, it felt like a cop out of the argument. And maybe it was, but the the point being like, I look back now and think, oh, that was a, such a great model. Um, but when I was 17, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that. Um, I mean, as you okay. grow older, you so, also learn new critiques of your parents and you start to, when you start parenting, you start to think about your parents differently. I mean, a lot of these things all change over time. But I just wonder if, if the self-reporting of teenagers might not be fully accurate to the things that will long-term impact them. Yeah, and there, there's evidence that suggests that that's true. When, when I talk to kids about, you know, over the whole course of your life, who mm -hmm. are the most influential people on your faith? About half of them will say their parents. Okay. But then if you say, tell me about junior high, tell me about high school, they basically say no. During that mm. period of time, the only thing that really mattered was my peers. Now, of course, it was mom and dad that were getting them to youth group. Sure. So mom and dad still had an immense indirect effect. Mm. But the direct influence that they had in childhood, honestly, is pretty well gone. Hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, not... To, not to deride indirect influence. That's critically important. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that the story that you just told, um, if you had not had a youth group and a youth pastor that were working in parallel with your parents that you were fighting with, mm -hmm. my bet is that you would not be a practicing Christian now. Hmm. And that if you were not a practicing Christian now, you would would reflect completely differently on your father's asking you to pray when you were well, that 17. Is, that is interesting. I have no way of knowing that. Because I, I right. reason, seems reasonable, though. Right, but that's an interesting question. Now I'm gonna reflect I, but, on that for a but, while. Yeah, but this also has me thinking about what you know. What is what is adolescence in general, right? It's that time in your life where you begin step. It's why we do confirmation when kids are in middle school. It's this time, like I'm stepping into my own. I'm not ready to be out on my own. I can't, you know, support myself financially. I, you know, I, I can't handle the responsibility that comes with adulthood, but I'm beginning to explore my own thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings about things like this separate and distinct from my family, from my parents. Right. And, right. and, that's what I've always felt like youth group needs to be is that place for me to explore that in a healthy way, in a healthy manner, in a, in a place where I'm going to be guided and directed in, in good ways to, to begin to figure this out on my own. Is this, is this really something that I'm going to, I'm going to take up on my own? It's the beginning right. of that process. No. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to think about basically God did not design us to spend our whole life with our parents. Mm. And, and by what I mean is we don't really find out who we are, and we don't find out what God has called us to, and we don't find out what our gifts are from what happens in the family. We, we find that out among our peers, mm -hmm. because our peers 
those are going to be the people that we spend our whole Christian life with. They're going to be the ones that we are the body with, that one of us is a toe and one of us is an elbow. And, and as an example, um, I, 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 I am pretty good at explaining things. I mean, I was an engineer, right? I think about the way that things work. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a part of that that has to do with persuasion and debate. My father was a lawyer, mm-hmm. and he was an excellent lawyer. And so, you know, bef- until I left home, I thought I was a miserable debater and miserable at thinking through stuff because dad was always better and smarter. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was like sort of the, the gifts that God put in me in a very real sense, were for my peers, not for my family. And, and it's sort of helpful, you know, to think through that. I mean, there's something, that there's, there's a very, very real sense in which we live out our adult lives with our peers, not with our parents. Hmm. Are there more people I've offended? Everybody who's got a, a parent I've offended now. So <laughs> Adam and Christy are out. We're yeah. the only people left. Yeah, no one's listening anymore. It actually, that actually makes me think, um, at All Souls this past Sunday, the adult education hour, there was a talk on, um, we're doing a series of grace, so it's grace and all sorts of things, and this was grace and singleness, and part of what the, the talk included was this, I mean, part of it was a, a, a exposing how churches are often built around catering to married couples and, and nuclear families, and we have adopted a sort of system in which we're not really reaching out beyond our families all that much. Um, that, that sort of nuclear families end up being these contained units. Um, and that, that it, there was more to, to it, but it makes me think that like good ministry to everybody in the church, to, to single people, to other married couples who might not be finding all of their relational and spiritual needs in their spouse, which none of us do, um, is the same as good youth ministry. It, it's an, an, actual integrating of different parts outside of just your biological clan because you have a different more right. real clan in some sense in some sense when we take the eucharist yeah. together we have a bond that is stronger than our biological bonds um right to to kin we're saying something very radical about that and so yeah. i've always felt like some of the the emphasis on nuclear family kind of flies in the face of how the new testament talks about what the church should be as opposed to your clan and your people. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. And of course, you, you are offending all the people that were left unoffended. Right. Yeah. But absolutely, that's true. I mean, the priority is to the church, not to the nuclear family. Yeah. Um, so what this, it looks like we've been going at this for a long time. Do we need to stop? Yeah, we might, we might be able to wrap it up here. You know, Stephen, one thing we sometimes do is we... We tried this a couple times. We offer youth minister confessions where you can, you can before God and his people in his church, through the medium of podcasts, tell us one thing you're bad at in youth ministry. Um, Eric and I both did this a couple a couple weeks ago. Do you have something that comes to mind? Confession, confessions of a youth pastor. Yeah, confessions of a youth pastor. So, okay. So, my worst sin ever. Oh, my worst youth ministry sin yeah, ever. Yeah, um, No. Sin. So, yeah. So, obviously, a youth minister is always sort of in this paradoxical position, this sort of bridge between adults and and teenagers. And good youth ministers do a good good job of knowing, you know, when to act like one and when to act like the other. And I'm miserable at that. (laughs) Um, 
And, and I get yelled at pretty frequently for doing kid things among adults. That's interesting. The kids never yell at me for doing adult things among the kids. <laughs> um, but so just like two weeks ago, um, we were in church and I was wrestling with the boy that I was, we, we sit together as a youth group. Mm-hmm. And so I was wrestling during church with one of the kids in the youth group and it was sort of getting knocked into the kids that were on the other side. And I had a father come and tap me on the shoulder and say, can I talk to you? And basically takes me to the back of the church and just reams me out for, you know, totally inappropriate behavior in church. Um, was this like during the Eucharistic so, yeah. prayers or was this like? I don't actually remember. It was probably, it was probably when the teaching was going on because that's yeah. where kids get bored. Right? Sure. I don't get bored. Kids get bored. And, and to try to help them enjoy their time in church, sometimes, you know, I'll, 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 I'll play with them. We'll, we'll try to, to, you know, keep stuff entertaining. Not me, it's them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's probably, that's probably when it was. I wouldn't do that, like, during prayers or something. Um, no, because so you're like charismatic, and, and the prayers is when the Holy Spirit might show up and do something. <laughs> that's right. And I can't wrestle with them because my hands are up over that's my right. head like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think I think that's a good place to, to cut it. Stephen, we're going to have you sometime back and we'll talk about charismatic stuff. Because um, I, I want our charismatic Anglicans to, to get you know some representation here and the rest of us to uh, be pushed out of our comfort zone on that. But... Um, Eric, do you have anything to add before I uh, I close? Do you want to? No, I, 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 at some point I realized, you know, right before you guys said we should stop, I just realized we we set up the problem in the ACNA, in ACNA Youth Ministry as none of the churches are big enough to have a youth group, and then spent the rest of the time talking about how every church should have a youth group. And so, um, yeah, it's just got me thinking about that, and now we and now we don't have any time to really talk about it. But I'd love to maybe talk more about, you know, should every church be, every Anglican church be pairing up with the two or three other Anglican churches in their area, like you're doing there in Wheaton, Andrew, and, and getting getting a critical mass of kids together that you can actually have a youth group, um, things like that. I highly recommend so, it. But maybe, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, I think I think that's a brilliant idea. Could I recommend that when you guys name this podcast that you go ahead and list all the people that should not listen to it, <laughs> <laughs> which would include anybody in a small church in the ACNA, anybody with parents, anybody who's ever had anything to do with education. Hey. Yeah, I was actually thinking it probably so, be anyway, just a suggestion. It'd probably be easier to list the three or four people who actually yeah. are, are would still not be offended, um, you know, the, in the world. The podcast for Adam and Christy. Adam and Christy, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Stephen, for spending some time and talking with us. Uh, I'm going to close with the collect um, for this week. Uh, in common worship, at least what we use at All Souls, and then we'll we'll be done. So let's pray. Almighty God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, is the resurrection and the life, raise us who trust in him from the death of sin to the life of righteousness, that we may seek those things which are above, where he reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.